0: It has been all my pleasure watching Valerie at Pax Beloved share her many artistic gifts with the world. She creates Catholic artwork and gifts with such love and detail. Sometimes I'll be on Instagram and will stop mid-scroll to pray with some image that she has created that has left me speechless. Her creations line my prayer closet. Please go follow her there at pax.valerie and head over to her website at paxbeloved.com. You can use the code SSS20 to get 20% off. Hello, I am Allison Sullivan, host of Center St. Sister, and it is all my pleasure to introduce you to some of the wisest people I know on this show that values courage and curiosity. Please hit subscribe to not miss a thing. I hope you hear something today that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center St. Sister. In Romans 10.15, Paul says, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. To God, there is nothing more beautiful than feet that carry the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether it is across the sea or across the street, have your feet brought good news to someone recently? The word beautiful in Hebrew is naha, and it doesn't mean pretty or cute or beautiful. What it actually means is befitting or becoming or perfectly appropriate. Beautiful feet bring good news because it is what they are supposed to do. And if we weren't sure about that, the book of Matthew tells us that Jesus's last words to us were this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The world needs Jesus. And Jesus' words to us are not a suggestion. It's not optional. If you have feet, if you are a child of God, then they are expected to bring good news. You are expected to go. What if we knew the cure for cancer and didn't share it? Can you even imagine keeping such healing all to yourself? And yet we have something far better than a cure for sickness. We carry the cure for the human spirit, and the world needs a Savior. They need hope and forgiveness and mercy and redemption and to know of a God who understands. They need their shame taken and their hearts healed and their wounds bound. They need a reason for living and a promise and dying and a seat at his heavenly table. We cannot keep this cure to ourselves. We have to share it. And our feet can reach into eternity when we employ them to carry the good news. When they are employed to travel near and far bearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God calls them beautiful. Evangelization. It's our purpose. But we're not always sure that we're equipped. Oh. I'll just leave that to someone who talks better than me, who writes better than me, who like people more than me, who people like more than me, who's more talented than me, who's more gregarious than me. Anyone other than me, really, would be good. But God uses the ill-equipped on purpose. We are perfectly equipped in our ill-equippedness and both. The ill-equipped or the perfectly equipped, because it's not about us, it's about him, and that's just how he proves it. God, the creator of the universe, uses fleshly man to relay his gospel message. Yes, our God has entrusted the work of bringing people to himself through the lives of those who follow him. Imperfect, flawed, mistake-prone people are God's chosen vessels. It's an awesome responsibility that has been delegated to us. And so whatever our hangups, whatever our history, whatever our hiccups, we are equipped just as we are. The Greek word translated as masterpiece is poema, which means a work made by God. And we derive our English word poem from this word. So I think it's kind of fun to think of myself as God's beautiful poem. And I think you should too. Masterpieces, poems, they're well thought out. They don't happen on accident. They're on purpose. I'm not by chance or on accident. I was divinely inspired. You are divinely inspired. And God decided that this little slice of history is the part of his story that needs you and your gifts in it. These 70, 80, 90, or 100 years is the tiny slice that suited for you to serve God and to bring Him glory, and He made you to do it. He thought about you and what He wanted you to do, and then He decided that there was no better time for you to be born with your unique gifts, talents, skills, personality that He wrote out perfectly in His poem. He has put you right where He wants you, thoughtfully. And God is never caught off guard. He doesn't ask someone to do something and then later realize that he forgot to equip them to do it. When Moses told God he couldn't do what he asked of him, God didn't slap his forehead and say, oh, you know what, Mo, you're right. We are so often wrong about who we say we are or are not. So who are we going to believe, us or God? God has gifted us in so many unique ways. What did he make you to do? What do you enjoy? Even if it doesn't make any sense, can we just quit arguing with it? And can we take a step out in faith and do it? See what he does with it. In Luke, we're told of a story where Jesus was preaching on the edge of the sea and many people pressed in to listen. He was running out of room, and so he decided to teach from an empty boat so that more people could see and hear. And after his teaching, he told Simon to get in his boat and to go out and fish where it was deeper, and he assured him that he would catch many fish. Simon told him, respectfully, and in so many words, maybe it's my own rendition. He said, you know what? I just did that all night, actually. And it didn't really produce much. But since you have hundreds of people here that are listening to you, maybe I should too. So, okay, I'll do that if you say so. And all of a sudden there were so many fish, the nets were breaking and they needed backup. And Simon saw this, and he fell to his knees, and he said he wasn't good enough to be around this man, but Jesus told him to not be afraid and assured him that now he would be fishing for men. Simon left everything behind and followed him. And what I love about this is that Simon told Jesus, you know what? This doesn't really make any sense, but I'm going to give it a shot. I'll do it because I heard you ask me to. I'm puzzled, but okay. Simon did as he was asked. He was obedient, and he was faithful, and his action glorified the Lord. And we have been asked to evangelize, and the reward will be plentiful, for God will not be outdone. And if not here on earth, then in heaven. Our faithfulness is never ignored. When I was young and single, I taught in Japan for three years, and while living there, we were able to travel to really cool places, Malaysia, Bali, Korea, China, and one of my very favorite places was New Zealand, and it was there that my girlfriends and I went skydiving. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been skydiving, but the first time you go, they make you go tandem with someone who knows what they're doing. Praise God, right? So I'm in this tiny little airplane climbing higher and higher, and I'm D-ringed to this stranger. And I was in front, and he was in back, and our legs were dangling off the side of this perfectly good airplane that we were about to jump out of. And in the video, you can see me checking over and over again to make sure that we were really tethered, really tight, checking all the cables. I absolutely was not going to do this without being perfectly bound to somebody who knew what in the world was going on. Why I thought this sounded like a good idea 15 minutes ago was beyond me. You can see it written all over my face. Well, when the person that I was tethered to decided it was time to go, they just fell out of the plane. They just leaned out. And there was this moment. There are these first couple of moments where I was falling, but I'm not very sciencey. I don't know if this is a thing, but I was falling at the weight of two people and it was not okay. Okay. It gives me chills just thinking about it. It wasn't fun. It wasn't exciting. It was paralyzing. It was not okay. I wasn't even thinking that I was going to die because I couldn't think anything. I couldn't make a thought. It was like that dream where something terrible was happening, but you can't scream because you're frozen, paralyzed, not okay. But then the drag let out. And it still wasn't quite okay because I could at least have a thought. This is when I thought I was going to die. And I inhaled my first breath and I thought, okay, this is how I go. But then the parachute let out. And that was it. Soaring, free fall, the earth beneath me, the wind in my face. And I saw why people do it. This was it. This was it all the fuss is about. But guys, we have to jump. And it's not always going to be cushy fun. It might be scary. It might be risky, but we are tethered to someone who knows exactly what is going on. Life in abundance. This is it. We have to jump, using our gifts, discovering them, using them, taking a risk, because he said so, using them to love people, bringing him glory the way he made us to do it, just us. Using our feet to bring good news, to build his kingdom, to love his people, to help them find a seat at that table. This is it. This is life in abundance. This is when we soar. What are your gifts and who around you needs them? You say you're a fisherman, Simon. Would you like some help? Seems pointless, you say. I've got this. Humor me. What? You're surprised by all the fish. Don't be scared. This is going to be great. Follow me. I've got more. My new friend, Brock Heasley, has taken, is taking a leap of faith, and I am so excited for you to hear all about it. I'm so excited that I am releasing this episode early. I want you to see what he's up to. I want to give you a chance to be in on it, too, because I know I am. God desires to use ordinary people and churches to reach people with the gospel, and his ideas are far bigger than ours. Brock Heasley is dreaming big. That Catholic design sells burlap, high-quality matted prints, coffee cups, totes, and Catholic t-shirts. I came across that Catholic design for the first time at a conference in Houston, and when I saw her work, I stopped dead in my tracks. While I would happily buy anything from that Catholic design, I bought four of her matted prints, one for each bedroom right away. St. Michael for the boys, Our Lady for the girls, one for my prayer closet, and St. Kateri just for me. That Catholic Design is run by a single mom. She creates with her daughter and uses their ministry to help other single mothers. Head over to That Catholic Design and find a special gift for the holidays. Brock, I am so excited that you're here. I can't thank you enough for saying yes. Um, I would love just to get started to tell the listeners how I found you, Um, and then you can introduce yourself, but, um, I, it feels the whole thing feels completely divine to me because I was just scrolling Instagram without an agenda (laughs) and what Uh came across my feed, it was what looked like a promotional video. And in this promotional video, there was this hilarious person saying very wise, um, albeit funny things about christian movies about christian art and every single word out of this person's mouth made me like sit up a little straighter and so in between laughing and going yes 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 i i quit listening and just started sending a dm right away i was like i need to, i i didn't even know like what the promotional video was about. I just knew that this person was saying things that mattered to me very, very much. So I send this this DM um, that basically just says, my hands are shaking, I'm so excited, can we be friends? And um, (laughs) that this person who received this DM knew that I wasn't dangerous is absolutely beyond me because (laughs) I look back and read what I wrote and I I feel a little sheepish now, but they responded right away and they said, so nice to meet you. Can we please get you in touch with a director and writer of the movie that we're excited about? And I'm like, what? Yes, please. (laughs) So (laughs) I immediately email you and then by the grace of God, you intuit that I am not dangerous. <laughs> and you <Yes>. agree, <laughs> and you agree to come on the podcast. And here we are. And it is just all my pleasure. I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome to the show, Brock.
1: Well, thank you so much, Allison. I'm really, really <laughs> excited to talk to you today.
0: Uh, Well, so you are a Christian filmmaker, you're writing, you're directing, Um, you have lived a very full life, and we can get into the pieces of that. Um, But for now, can you just start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, and who you love?
1: Yeah, so my name is Brock Heasley, and I am the writer and director of a movie that should be coming out soon um, called The Shift. And, uh, I am uh, married to my wife of 21 years. Her name is Erin and we have three beautiful daughters. Um, and we live in California where it is always smoky except for right now. Finally, we're out from under all of that. Um, which is nice. uh, So we can, we can kind of breathe again. Um, but yeah, I've, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker and a, and a father and, and a Christian and and not necessarily in that order. <laughs> right. Definitely not in that order.
0: <laughs> um, so I'm, for me, I'm just going to go in chronological order. So, okay. So I send a random DM on Instagram. I send you an email. You agree to come on the show in my excitement, um, to, to, get prepared. I go to the great sage Google and I learn, um, that you have written a book. Okay. And so, (laughs) which I did not know, it's called the other side of fear everyone.
1: Oh, look, you got a copy right there.
0: There it is. And now you'll notice how like brand spanking new it looks. That's because it took me five hours to read because I absolutely could not put it down from the moment of discovering that you had written a book to Amazon priming it. I mean, the whole process to finishing the last page, the whole process was like 48 hours. Um, but I, which surprised
1: me because I didn't even tell you about it. Like I, like in our, in our brief exchange, I didn't, (laughs) I had no expectation of you reading that or even discovering it. So no, it's amazing. I,
0: I was just thrilled that you had agreed to come on. And literally when I Googled this came up and I was like, well, yes, I will. Um, and I'm so glad that I did. <laughs> I, I learned a lot of, about you, obviously about, um, mm-hmm. you know, y- your life, but obvious, but also how well you discuss complicated emotions. Um, you write very honestly and authentically about layered emotions and, um, just complicated feelings. So I I literally couldn't put the book down, but I I feel at an unfair advantage to listeners because I know so much about you. Do you mind catching listeners up on some childhood slash life events that have shaped you the most?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So what Allison is referring to is that uh, when I was just three days shy of my 12th, 12th birthday, my father was the victim of a violent crime. He was shot 13 times in an armed robbery at, at his store. And, um, and needless to say, uh, it, was, it was assumed that he was probably going to die from, from injuries that, that grievous. Um, but it ended up being that he didn't. And, uh, it was a, it was a really traumatic night in the hospital where everybody was very scared, but I had this kind of sense of inner peace, um, or naivete, you know, it, it's up to you and to, to determine that as the reader, I suppose. Um, but just this idea that, that he was going to be okay and and it turned out that he was and and uh but you know it was it was a complicated recovery and and complicated years that followed you know you can't get shot that many times and live and, and not suffer some complications but for the most part he he went about and, and lived his life until eight years later when the incident repeated itself pretty much precisely um only this time he was killed and at that time by then i was 19 years old i was away from home i had been away from home for for 10 months i hadn't seen him in 10 months i was serving as a missionary at the time and um yeah and i and i got the call and at first all i knew was that that he had been shot again and immediately it was very clear to me in in stark contrast to when i was much younger i knew immediately that he was that he was dead that this was the end and um and that was a very difficult um, night as as you can imagine and, and it was it was difficult for a couple of different reasons number one it was just this feeling of despair from from the loss of my father but number two also you know it's not like he just you know fell in a hole and died there were two men that that killed him yeah. and so I had to deal with that and I had to figure my way out ar- around that um, and particularly as a Christian you know the idea of forgiveness we're to forgive everyone it's not our job to judge And so, um, that night I I really wrestled with that. And I, and I came to a place of forgiveness that night, that very night. And, um, I, the anger, the hatred, none of that, all of that just left and it was replaced by love, um, for my father's killers. Mm -hmm. And I have never experienced a moment of, of, of hatred or anger towards them since that night, not, not once. Mm -hmm. Um, and I attribute that to the love of our savior, which, which I was able to to have within me.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really, um, that really comes through in your writing. In fact, um, you know, you, and you explain this several times in the book that your dad seemed to inherently know that he was going to die mm-hmm. early. And, mm-hmm. um, a- after, you know, his first, first attack, he seemed to handle that trauma, as overly optimistic or as um, unrealistic as as it sounds, um, he seemed to handle right. that with a great deal of inner peace. And mm-hmm. as I was reading your words and listening to you tell your story and and your trauma, I couldn't help but but make that connection that you were very much following in his footsteps regarding you know this this inner peace um, that you have done the same thing, you know, handled this great deal of trauma, um, with a certain degree of solitude that simply doesn't seem to make sense. (laughs) Um, can you speak to being adaptable to both tragedy and beauty? Because don't they so often coincide?
1: They, they do coincide. And and what I have come to realize is that they're not, they're, they're really not intended to be separate. They're really not. Mm. Um, we we define one as its opposition to the other. So we cannot appreciate beauty without perceiving ugliness. We can't we can't appreciate mm. peace without having conflict. Um, and and you know, in this this is definitely the most dramatic incident within my life. But I think all of us experience you know tragedy to to different degrees and, and in different ways. And I think what our responsibility is, especially as Christians is to put them into proper perspective. And I think that when God gives us something that is traumatic or that is really big or, some, or overwhelming or just, you know, just something that's, that's just so difficult, I think what he's doing is he's providing for us a way to see him more clearly. He's providing for us a way to see the light more clearly. Because if you think about the times in your life when you have felt closest to God, I'm guessing right. it's probably in the most difficult times of your life because you're reaching for him and you're yes. looking for the light and 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 if you and we know that if we seek we will find yeah. um, and so for me I have I have definitely come to view look not 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 that I welcome hard times not that I welcome trial and tragedy mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and I have experienced some some very big ones since the death of my father Mm -hmm. Um, but it's because of, I think largely because of what I went through with him and and the perspective I was able to gain through that experience. And, and by, as you say, following his example was a huge part of it for me, seeing Mm -hmm. the way he dealt with the initial trauma, seeing the way that he forgave the men who shot him the first time helped me to understand what I needed to do and what my responsibility was was towards his killers.
0: Yeah. It's really beautiful. I mean, it's crushing, but it's beautiful. Um, Mm -hmm. I I was thinking about in scripture, it's like, Comfort always goes along with sorrow if we know the Lord, you know? So I I think a lot of times, you know, we're so, um, we can be so diligent about trying to sidestep pain, um, Mm -hmm. because we want to live as comfortably as possible. But in so many ways, those, those deep dives into pain is really what paves the way to those high highs of joy, you know? And so a lot of ways, in a lot of ways it's because of one, just like you said, that we get to experience the other in its fullness.
1: Well, and I, and I think sometimes we think that we mistakenly think that because we have joy in Christ, we should not experience sorrow. Yes. You know, that, that, that just because we understand and and we know better that we should just never have a moment of, of, of disquiet or unhappiness. And the fact of the matter is, is that Christ was sorrowful. Christ Mm -hmm. experienced tremendous sorrow Mm -hmm. in his life. What did he have to be sorrowful about? Mm -hmm. You know, the joy of Christ he was Christ, he embodied joy, and yet he experienced sorrow. Um, and it's because they go hand in hand, because you cannot have the one without the other. You can't understand it, you can't appreciate it. Um, so when Lazarus died, and he knew, he knew he was going to bring him back, but he still felt the sorrow. Yeah. And that's appropriate. That's the way it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah, we so often want to rush sadness along, don't we?
2: <laughs>
1: Instead mm-hmm. of just yes.
0: staying and, and appreciating those moments. I would imagine that writing the other side of fear was also greatly therapeutic. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's it's an, it's incredible what happens when you cuz a lot of people will say I can't believe you remember all of this. Like I can't remember, you know, huh. anything mm. from when I was, you know, a teenager or when I was a kid and it's like, well, you know, when you start writing, things come back. Things come yeah. back. And so, yeah. you know, it it was a it was a really neat process in that way. And also, yeah, it helped me to kind of Cause when you're in the middle of something, you can, you can start to ask why, well, why is this happening? What is the point of all of this? I mean, even now I'm, I'm experiencing trials where I'm like, what is the point of all of this? Yes. But, um, because of, because I wrote the other side of fear and because I, I did process all of that, I've come to realize too, that, you know, the hindsight thing is a very real thing. And, and I trust that whatever is going on in my life, whatever difficulty I have, that there is a purpose to it. And that yeah. there is something that I will discover, maybe not now, but, but later, And so to me, that's the most valuable part of the therapeutic process of writing it all down is just gaining that perspective.
0: God is so rarely like gently explaining himself over lunch. (laughs) You
2: know, It's like
0: (laughs) thy word is a lamp into my feet. Like you get to see this much. And if the truth is that the path has lit up the whole way, we wouldn't be looking over our shoulder going, how am I doing now? How about now? How about now? So it's that constant check-in of the not knowing, you know, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. those two things go hand in hand for me too. Um, Okay. So if we could um, shift gears a little bit, because this is, um, why and how I fell in love with you and the shift. Um, it's it's uh, talking about Christian art. And I feel like mm-hmm. Christian art can so often feel forced or unnatural, mm-hmm. um, cheesy, even heavy handed. It's like the dialogue's laborious. The acting is bad. Mm-hmm. There's all these cliches and um, right. everyth- everything can like I don't know. It's like really on the nose, you know, so much so mm-hmm. that all, and these things happen so generally and across the board that it's like almost it's become the point. <laughs> it's like, right. no, right. we're trying to get a sermon into the dialogue. You know, um, we, we want bad actors. We don't want to detract from Jesus. Not really, but, and so, I mean, it, it feels that way. It feels like it's a little bit on purpose. Yeah. And, um, and I think that movies obviously have messages. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, movies are mm-hmm. supposed to have messages, but in Christian movies, it can feel really, really explicit. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we have to use these certain words. We have to say these certain things. And so not much is left to the imagination. And so for mm-hmm. me, and this is, this is my question to you is that's what, this is what bothers me about Christian movies. I want to know what bothers you about Christian movies, but for me, because of all of those things i can end up watching it and then feel a little manipulated um because mm-hmm. the the end goal was like was so explicit was so um certain you know, or uh mm-hmm. i don't know like small the end result was so small right. that it was i can end up feeling a little manipulated once it's all said and done um right what about you?
1: What are what are your no? I I, complaints? I think you've hit on a lot of it. I think you've hit on a lot of it. There's this idea that, that that we have to do it this way. That that it has to be on the nose. That we have to make the message explicit. That we can't have any ambiguity. And I think ambiguity is the main thing that I find lacking. Mm. You know, in our in our desire. It's it's funny because I say ambiguity and and somebody might freak out at that but I think within ambiguity you sometimes find more truth than you find just saying something outright. And okay. what I mean by that is is that you know sometimes in our in our desire to tell the truth, you know, which the truth the gospel is true. But sometimes in our desire to only put across that, we deny other truths. Yeah. Other truths yeah. like the human experience. Like yes. The fact that people aren't always good—that sometimes people, you know, guys yell at their wives, and that doesn't yeah. make them bad. It just means that they had a bad moment. Um, yeah. and, and just allowing that to breathe, allowing the humanity to breathe within the story. See that those are the dual truths: is that we have this divine truth and we have this human truth, and the hu- the divine and the human truths both have to be present in order for it to feel real. Yeah. And so here in this desire to spread truth, we're actually separating ourselves from it. And then all of a sudden it feels false. The whole thing feels false. So these truths that we're trying to tell come across as fake, mythological, a a fairy tale, all of those things that atheists sometimes accuse us of being. I'm sorry, but sometimes we do present things that way because we present them in an unreality that is not connected to our human experience, which is an important truth to have embedded within our stories otherwise we can't, we can't see the greater truths. So, you know, I think, I think, but, but, but in order to get there, you do have to approach ambiguity. You have to approach a thing yeah. where we're not telling people, he just yelled at his wife and that's bad. <laughs> no, he just yelled at his wife and now we're moving on to the next scene. And you're gonna have to figure out what that means. And you're gonna have to see how this plays out. And you're gonna have to be uncomfortable for two hours as we sort through this character's arc. And, and that's just what we're gonna have to do because that's how you tell the story and that's how you arrive at the greater truths. That's, that's what I believe in as a storyteller. And that's what I'm trying to do with the shift. It's what I believe I did with the other side of fear as well. You know, it's a true story, but there's a way to tell a true story where I'm denying kind of the uglier parts. If anybody comes off bad on the other side of fear, it's me, I believe I'm not shying away from the moments when I like, I mean, there's an entire confrontation in that book between me and my parents, two of them, where I say some really nasty, horrible things, Mm -hmm. but it's what I said. Yes. And it's how I arrived yes. at the place of peace that I eventually get to. Yeah. And my hope in, when that within that story is, is that when you read about the peace that I was able to reach with my father's killers, because I have shown you who I am and the struggle that I have gone through in a, in a realistic and honest and, and not so pretty way, that when you get to the moments in, in the book and in that story, when I say, hey, you know what? I forgave them instantly and it never came back. I need you to believe me when I say that. Yes. And I can't, I can't get you to believe me when I say that if I'm not presenting me as a real person. Oh my God. That's gosh. impossible. I can't do that. And it's the same thing in fiction. We cannot get people to believe the truths that our characters are experiencing if we're not building true characters.
0: That's so good. It's really, really good. You did an excellent job. Just to go back to the other side of fear really quick. You did an mm-hmm. excellent job explaining that first night in the hospital. You were feeling uh-huh. things that um, I don't know that I would like to write about. You know, <laughs> just right, little right. <laughs> little things about being excited to go to school the next day and be a little bit of a right. hero. You know, like I was so grateful because it's such, I think that we, you know, because of shame, that's what shame really wants to do, uh, over more than anything is isolate us. Right. And so the Mm -hmm. shame of that emotion keeps anyone, um, who's logical from talking about it. And yet when you say it, you have all of these other people going, me too, me too, me too. And now you've formed this great connection on, on what it is to be human and what it is to be alive. And now how can we invite, um, divine or, you know, sacred into secular, you know, or divine into flesh right. to, you know, to operate within that, because that's where the real goodness happens. I, you know, I feel like mm. there's always this kind of ticker tape running along the bottom of Christian movies where even if there is an unpleasant scene, it's like, okay, but just wait, we're going to take care of this in a second,
2: right? <laughs> right. you know? And <laughs> right. so
0: I, I, I appreciate you trusting an audience, you know, to avoid that manipulation that I always end up feeling. Um, So I was, um, I was reading this thing that basically said, it's not, it's not, uh, that, that within the Christian genre, is it Christian? I feel like a lot of times the question is, is it Christian enough? So, right. I, and and so my question for you is, do you feel the pressure of parameters? I am in ministry and my ministry is large. My platform largely got started because of a spiritual memoir I wrote and then some speaking that I was doing at churches. And now, you know, mm-hmm. here we are w- with, with the podcast. And, um, as my son and I started to be interested in acting and, and went to LA and, and got agents and then started to audition, i'm I'm hearing the mumblings of not necessarily am I Christian, but am I Christian mm-hmm. enough? And very literally, the right. only difference between podcasting Allison and auditioning Allison are the literal words that are that are coming out of my mouth, and so by that logic, my good standing as a Christian is completely contingent on the specific words that are coming out of my mouth. Um, and so there's like this, this insistence on my flawless communication of my beliefs and everything else Mm -hmm. is secondary to that. Like what I'm actually doing nuance, um, you know, mystery, beauty, all of that is completely secondary to, am I saying the right thing? Or am I doing this thing correctly? And I'm not even someone who likes to be categorized. I find boxes, you know, annoying and and small. And so I, and I feel the pressure of staying where people expect me to stay. I'm, I'm wondering, do you feel that pressure to say and do the right things within this Christian genre. Are you making the movie you want to make? Is this an experience that's just me?
1: (laughs) Um, I don't think the experience is just you, but I I refuse to have it. Mm. I refuse to have it Um, Mm. because number one, I don't think we get to good art that way. And number two, because honestly, I don't like talking like other people. I, I, if, if, I mean, if I can just make it really surface level, um, I, I prefer if I hear a phrase and maybe this is just the writer in me, but if I hear a phrase that yeah. other people use frequently, I don't see that uh-huh. as a signpost. I need, I need to, you know, put in the ground in front of me. I see that as something to avoid. Mm-hmm. I see that as, okay, well, that thought's been expressed, yes. you know, like in that way, I can express a thought I can express the same thought, but I can express it in a different way. Right. Um, but also I think I think especially having a film out there publicly it's now been seen you know by over a million people and as you can imagine we and we also have um we've released the feature film script anybody can go and read that um at angel.com slash the shift they can see exactly what we're going to do with this feature film like there's no mystery and as you can imagine having done all of that with this short film we have and with the script that's out now out there I have gotten a lot of opinions about what I'm doing and <laughs> yeah, what I've made. Yeah. And 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 there is absolutely no way to please everybody. There's no way. If I were to try to do that, I would end up with this Frankenstein monster of a product. And right. I'm not interested in doing that. Right. All I can do is is please two people. And in this order, I please God and then I please myself. Mm-hmm. And that's it yeah, and primarily, really, I'm just trying to please God. And so for me, it's about, okay, am I being truthful? am I being honest? Am I doing what the Lord wants me to do? And I seek his inspiration, and then I make the thing that I'm that I, that I'm trying to make. And And the thing is, too, is that we all have different talents. You know, there are yeah. movies that that are made that that preach to the choir. And, and they're the types of movies that I would never be interested in watching, but I know that they serve other people very well. And I think that's great. I have no problem with that, but that's never going to be the movie that I make. That's not, that's not, that's not what I do. That's not, doesn't speak to me. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do is I want to make something that speaks to me and people like me. And I think that there's a lot of us out there that are just not being served at all. Yes. And so I don't feel any pressure or any responsibility other than to do what pleases my father in heaven.
0: Oh, I love it. You know, I th- I think it was Martin Luther who. I I, I don't know if this is. Like a real conversation that happened, but it was a shoemaker that was, you know, had a conversion experience and was like, okay, well now that I know the Lord, like, how do I make really great, you know, how do, what do I do with my life? Do I keep making shoes? And he's like, and Martin Luther's like, you don't need to put crosses all, all over your shoes. Just make really good shoes. You know, like yeah, our yeah. <laughs> greatness does not need to be in opposition to the truth, like we have the greatest story ever told, it should be told greatly. Um, so right. I, I love so much your your commitment to that. Um, as an art- artistic person with very mm-hmm. deep thoughts and a prowess for communication, um, a skill for writing, how. In the world, did you get into movie making? You write a little (laughs) bit um, in your book. You write about some loneliness as a child and you know, Mm -hmm. very happy to escape into a good comic book. Um, when did an ability to tell a good story or a hobby of consuming a great story turn into producing and directing and writing a good story?
1: So I did not come into writing until much later in my life than most people do usually. I first got it into my head that I could be a storyteller or a writer when I was twenty eight years old. So by then I had a couple of kids and I was married and college yeah. was way in the rear view and I had a whole career as a graphic artist and mm. but then I got it in my head that, you know, I I actually kind of enjoy writing, which, you know, in school I never did because it was always an assignment. Um, right. And, and so I, I started writing for fun and, and, and it just took over. It just took over everything for me. But even then I, I wasn't thinking about filmmaking. I'd always loved films and I would you know listen to dvd commentaries at work um you know because my 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 job i was drawing which meant i had this whole other part of my brain that was freed up to to just listen to dvd commentaries and so i learned so much about movie making just from listening to these things and and looking at behind the scenes videos and things like this but really it was just a fascination it, it was just a, it was that was a hobby just learning about these things not with the aspiration to, to do anything and yeah. then about um six years ago uh six six and a half years ago um my wife and i we both got fired from our jobs within Mm. 24 hours of each other Mm. and it was a reset moment Uh, and and immediately i went out and started interviewing and trying to find you know more graphic design jobs and things like that and i was getting turned down at every single point it just was not working out and i couldn't understand why i felt capable but nothing was working out and so i was approached um, a few months later by a local production company that had a movie coming out and they knew that I was a writer and they said, well, you know, why don't you come and tell stories with us? We, we want to do more movies. And they said, but look, there's no money. So <laughs> you're going to need to, you know, take a leap of faith with us. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to really pray about that because that sounds mm-hmm. like an insane thing to do with somebody who has a wife and three kids. And three kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my wife was still out of work too. We mm-hmm. neither one of us could find jobs and um and so we made it a matter of prayer for like a month and to our surprise we both came back and, and thankfully my wife got the same answer Ugh. And she said yeah you you need to go and to do this and you need to find out what this is about and um and then she said uh, and I'm, by the way i'm gonna go get my master's degree because <laughs> i'm gonna go do a career too and yes. I, at that point i was like okay well i yeah. can't say no to that love it love <laughs> so it. so she went that way and i went my way and um and still you know it was it was several years before we got to the point we are now Um, so it was a lot of years of wilderness and, and wondering why I was put on this path and not finding immediate success. Um, you know, it was within a year that I shot the shift and I wrote the shift, which, you know, a year before that, I had no idea how to make a movie. Now here I was directing one and the shift is the first thing I ever directed, um, and, and wrote. And, uh, and it just turned out really well. And, and, uh, I mean, we had 500 bucks, you know, because I didn't have any money. I was out of work. And so we just, I was able to buy food for the crew and oh, they wow. thankfully volunteered their position, their, their, oh. their talents and, and the, and the cast as well. Um, and, and it was just a real homegrown enterprise. Um, but that first day when we, when we were shooting, I just felt, I just felt this sense of peace and like, yes this this is me this is who i am this is what i'm supposed to do i love that moment um, it was an incredible moment and thankfully i got it because that had to sustain me for for years until we got to the point where we are now because who was i i was nobody Hmm. and i had very few connections and um but thankfully you know when god sets you on a path and you're brave enough to follow it um you'll always end up in the right place you just don't know how long the path is that's the problem. so I'm I'm very grateful to be where we are now where where we've got this film that's out there and now we're we're you know making this this make it into a much a much bigger thing and um but even even just the short film even just that short film that we made that I thought our cast and crew will see this and absolutely no one else because where is the market for a Christian film that's you know serious and and has like this twilight zone sci-fi feel to it mm. like there is no market for that it doesn't exist mm. but what I found out over time as the as the film got out there i found out well there is a, a hungry audience for this yeah, that they, right. people are looking for something different yes. from from their faith films and they're ready to be challenged uh, by something like this and they're ready to take something and put it in front of their non-believing friends and say yeah i know they all all the rest of them are this way but this one's different and you need to check this out and that's what we have i believe in the shift and so Um, thank goodness I was put on this path because it does feel like the one I was always headed towards for a long time, but boy, I sure didn't know it. It took me a while to get here. Wow.
0: It's so exciting. I feel such excitement around this new calling and I, there's just something so inspiring about leaps of faith like this. The Lord loves faith. Hey, and I just, Mm -hmm. I feel like every single time it's just, I think we're always kind of waiting for this, um, Safety net, you know, it's like the the trapeze. Like you're on the trapeze, and it's like, okay, I'll I'll step off if I know there's a net. And it, in a way, I think it, I forget who says this. It's this isn't mine, but there's a bogus a bogus trust there. You know, it's like mm-hmm. if you're, if we're just waiting for nets, I think that the Lord finds something so special in I'm going to step out and I know that the net will appear. And so right. I, this is just such a, a story that everybody can get behind because we've all wanted to take that leap ourselves. So thank you for your example, number one. Okay. Well, number two, can you please tell us, um, What's going on with the shift right now? I know that you've brought some i know that there's a lot to be excited about. um you have fun people on board um uh, we're opening up a new round of go you you tell us what's going on with the shift, and what are you hopeful for? yeah.
1: So right now we are in the middle of a third round of crowdfunding. Yes. So we've we've gone out twice before and we raised a total, of, we raised over $700,000 through previous rounds of crowdfunding. And, and that gave us the confidence to go ahead and open up a third round because we got so many messages from people afterwards. We're like, oh my gosh, I missed out. Can I please... You know invest and we had to tell them well no we're not open for that we can't do that so we um, we've spent the last few months gauging interest and what that means is is that we just we we basically set up a website and we said hey look if you're interested in investing in the shift let us know and if we see enough interest then we'll go ahead and we'll open it up and when we asked people to express that interest we asked them for two things we asked them for their email address and we asked them hey how much money would you want to put in mm-hmm. and in that period we received almost $3.2 million in pledges. And that told us, okay, (laughs) there's definitely interest. And so just a few days ago, we went ahead and opened up our third round of crowdfunding. And within 24 hours, we reached our minimum goal of $250,000. Now our maximum is much higher than that. And so we're still going, but we have a very, very limited amount of time. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to be closing this up um, on November 23rd or before, if we hit our, our maximum before that, we'll have to close earlier. Um, so it's, it's just a few weeks. Um, but it's, but it's a really exciting time. It's a project that people, um, you know, it's, it's funny because some people definitely don't know how to react to the shift because it is so different. But what I'm finding is, is all of these people who I feel like they've had no voice within the Christian media sphere or, or there hasn't been something that spoke to them. And those are the people that are coming on board this thing and saying, wow, I really, not only do I want to invest in this and potentially get a return, but, uh, I, I also really, really want to see this happen because it's, it's for me. Um, and, and that's, what's exciting. And so, um, because we're doing something so different, we've been able to attract some some pretty heavy hitters to to this project. Um, Dallas Jenkins, the creator of The Chosen, is is one of our executive producers. Um, Dallas is, has been a, a great friend and mentor to me, and and so now he's on board this project, and he's going to help us make it. Um, you know, our we see The Chosen. I see The Chosen as one of the great um, works of Christian art uh, of of the past you know several decades. For and sure. So to have the creator of that show working on this film. Um, you know, that's a big, big deal. But we've also brought on um, Matt Nelson and Dan Hasseltine, who are the composers for The Chosen. And of course, Dan Hasseltine was the singer and songwriter for Jars of Clay. In fact, right now, as we're talking, Matt and Dan are working on the first piece of music ah! for The Shift. We have, um, we're going to be presenting, I believe, next week, very, very soon, an Atomatic of 10 minutes of the film. And animatic is basically it's it's storyboards, but kind of lightly animated together. Okay. So we've got actors who are performing the parts, we've got these animated storyboards, we've got music from Matt and Dan. And then we've also got um, sound design from my friend, Brandon Jones, which is like, okay, Brock's friend. Who the heck is that? Doesn't matter. No, Brandon Jones is the sound designer for A Quiet Place. He's the sound designer for several Michael Bay movies. Oh, my goodness. He's the sound designer for the original short film for The Shift, which he did before he broke big into Hollywood. Oh, my goodness. So, you know... Brandon Jones, my friend, is working on these giant blockbusters during the weekdays. And then on the weekends, he he works on the shift for us. Um, and so we're just we're extremely, extremely fortunate to have this 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 really great group of people. And great in fact, team. just yesterday we brought on board. Um, and another person is named Darby Faciento and he is the, um, this is, this is really inside baseball when it comes to films, but he <laughs> is the computer interface designer for the shows, Loki and Hawkeye for Marvel studios. So, you know, when you see computer screens and all those graphics and stuff, so, there's a, somebody who has to design all of They're, that. Right, that's right.
0: That's a person. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a person. So he's going to come in and design all of our on-screen tech for us. Um, so we've got these incredibly talented people. Some of them working within Hollywood, but who are believers and who aren't expressing their faith through the through the projects that they're working on. Wow. And they look at the shift and they're like, "Here is a Hollywood quality production through which I can express my faith and use my skills and my talents." So that's the shift. Are you that's pinching what's going on yourself?
0: Right are you just pinching a yourself right now? Do you go to bed <laughs> just basking in work well done? Oh, I'm so excited for you. Yeah.
1: Um, no, it's 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 amazing.
0: Well, how do we help? What do you what do you need from the people? Where do we where do we find you? How do we sign up to um crowdfund? We're interested. Yeah.
1: So all you gotta do is you gotta go to angel.com slash the shift, and um you'll see a big button there that says back this project. Hit that button and five minutes later you'll be an investor. Okay. Um you can it's it's a really simple process and uh yeah and so you just go there and then also you know we're we're trying to spread the word you know um it's it that's that's one of the big lifts for this thing is that we believe that there are you know hundreds thousands of people out there who want to invest in this thing but they don't know about it yet and so we know we're doing what we can doing ad spend and you know interviews like this and, and doing whatever we can to get the word out but This is grassroots, word of mouth. That's more effective than anything. So if anything I'm saying resonates with you at all, please go to angel.com slash the shift. Check it out. Invest if you would like. We would love for you to partner with us. But then let's spread the word. Let's yes. let's tell people, you yes. know. And we have a Facebook page. We also have a Facebook um, fan club now that that fans created, and that I'll go in and drop some some bombs in there, some exclusive stuff. I'll I'll, I'll reveal in there. It's a great place to gather and to get ideas about how to spread the word. But um, but that's really that's really the job one right now. Is we got about three weeks, and we just need to get the word out there as best we can.
0: You got it. You have I, this is a a wonderful tight knit little community. Um, w- when we get on board, we get on board enthusiastically. So I cannot wait for, for sure. this to to air and for people to hear what you're about and how uh, how differently you want to ablaze blaze an old trail. I'm just I feel like there's something really special about taking an old story and dusting it off and telling it new. And you're just just the person for the job. I hope that um I would love to pray against any doubt that ever comes your way. You were just hand chosen for this and I'm really really grateful that our paths crossed and it's all my pleasure to do my part to to tell people about you and to tell people about the shift. Um anything else before we close where can we go to follow? Like where do you have um Instagram? Everybody obviously needs to go to Amazon and get the other side of fear. But is there um, any social media that you want us to follow?
1: Yeah. So one thing that we haven't talked about yet is what the shift is about. Um, And I'm sure people are curious. We've been talking about this thing for like 45 minutes now. (laughs) We haven't even said what it is. Um, But the the shift is, in my mind, well, not in just my mind, I think it really is kind of a modern day retelling of the story of Job, kind of through Mm. a sci-fi lens. Mm -hmm. And so it's the story about a man named Kevin, an ordinary dude, you know, having struggles in his marriage, struggles at work. Um, he gets into a terrible car accident and when he wakes up, there's a man helping him, you know, bandages him up, gives him some water, all of that. Very nice man. But the man turns out to be Satan and he's there to help Kevin, uh, and, and give him a job essentially guys. He's got a job offer, an incredible job offer. And if he, if he will do it, then Kevin will get pretty much anything he wants, fame, riches, wealth, whatever. Um, and so the, the, and you really see this mostly in the short film where it's just this this kind of this conversation between satan and and Kevin and he's kind of explaining kind of the way things work and that's kind of where we introduce the sci-fi element but the feature film becomes a much bigger story it becomes mm. what happens after that conversation mm-hmm. comes what happens after Kevin spoiler rejects the devil and rejects this offer mm. and um and how there's consequences to that usually the story ends there usually the story ends at you know, the point of, well, does he, does he, does he take the deal or doesn't he? Um, And we want to, we want to keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, Because for me, what's, what's important about the shift is how does God manifest himself through the dark times? That's what the shift is about. And we're going to do that with a really unique story, man versus devil. Let's expose him in the way that C.S. Lewis did with, with the screw Mm -hmm. tape letters. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's take that And let's put that into the modern day let's put that with a sci-fi twist Mm -hmm. and it's it's not pointless science fiction isn't something we just threw in there to attract we get accused of this sometimes we didn't just throw Mm -hmm. in the science fiction to attract non-believers or to attract people who like secular films that's not the point of it Mm -hmm. you can talk about things in a different way with science fiction than you can in 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 other ways think about star trek star trek would talk about social issues but they would use green-skinned aliens versus Mm -hmm blue skinned aliens, you know, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we're talking about race, but we're talking about with aliens and everybody gets to come to the table and, and, mm. and, and learn and, and talk and experience this story together. I see science fiction is the same way. We can yeah. talk about theological concepts without getting mired into any one theology by talking about the principles and, and the eternal truths that, that we can all agree upon. Um, and we can talk about them through this lens of science fiction. It's just a great way to express an idea in, in a different way. Um, so I think the shift is, is going to be something that is going to be a powerful film for people who are looking for, for truth, but, um, we're doing it with fiction, which is a great way to tell I truth. It. I mean, it sounds contradictory, but it yeah. isn't. It's a great no, way to tell yeah. truth. Um, you can just get at it at a different angle.
0: I love it so much. You're blazing old trails in new ways, and we're all so much better for it. Um, where can we yeah. follow you on social media?
1: Yeah, so on social media you can find us at uh, facebook.com slash shifty film and then on Instagram you can find us on shiftfilm. shift film. The shift film. Oh my gosh, I'm botching this. Um,
2: <laughs>
1: that's okay. We'll I'll figure it totally out. No,
0: we'll figure it out. It's I you fine. know what I don't
1: have the handles memorized. That's my problem. <laughs> Just give me a second. So you here. are you are not um, the guy
0: that I DM'd initially. You are not the, the person on the other end of that, do you <laughs> you? <laughs>
1: Um, that is a that okay. We
0: have we have very smart listeners that will that will figure this okay, out. I'm sure <laughs> it, it is
1: the shift film. The shift film.
0: The Gosh. shift film. That sounds familiar to me yes. too. Let's call it good.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's what it is. Do you want me to do that over?
0: No, no, it's great.
1: Oh, okay. okay. Listen,
0: hey, I don't like too slick of a finish. I like a little, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay. That's great.
0: Thank you so much, Brock. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm so happy to know you and I'm like I am such an obnoxious cheerleader. I've got pom-poms in every color.
1: <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Alex. No, thank you for reaching out and just I think what you're doing and you know, you're, you're looking at things, what, you know, what's interesting about you is that you're examining your motivations. You're examining Mm, why you do what you do and you're looking at things from a different angle. And that's just so important. We need to continually be doing that instead of just chasing after this, this, this rabbit that, that, you know, is leading us down a path. We're saying, well, maybe that's not the right path. Maybe we need to go over here instead. And, and I think that's so important and that's how we're going to get better art. That's how we're going to get better Christian media. So kudos to you as well. Oh,
0: thank you. Takes one to know one. Glad to find a friend. Thank you so much, Brock.
1: <laughs> thank you.
0: Be a Heart Design is committed to creating and experiencing beauty. They create products that walk us through the joys and sorrows of life. Swaddle blankets, wooden puzzles, laptop sleeves, lunch boxes, digital planners, and my very favorite paper planner that doesn't just keep my life organized, but also keeps me rooted in prayer. Everything created is designed to reflect God's goodness. Head on over to Be A Heart Design on Instagram and check out the many gifts for special occasions, the thoughtful little somethings to let someone know you're thinking of them, or head over and pick out something nice for yourself. Use code SSS15 for 15% off.
2: Hi, Beefy. Hi, Beefinator. How's it going? It's going. How are you?
0: Good. Um, Okay, so I want to start out this little clip with, um, I would like for you to describe your most perfect day. Like, what would you do if you had your most perfect day? Okay.
2: I actually was thinking about this, um, this weekend, trying to think about intentionality in the holidays. Okay. I would, I couldn't pull this off with my intentionality in the holidays, but the perfect day Mm -hmm. is wake up in Lake Tahoe. Okay. Drink the perfect cup of coffee. Mm Mm-hmm hang out just hang out all day outside with my people. There's like mountains and Lake. It's beautiful. Um, I would have all of our former foster kiddos with us. And because it's the perfect day, they would all be potty trained and eat what I cooked. <laughs> and, and then uh, Mike, actually, Mike, when I'm, I were talking about this, he reminded me that my perfect day would include lentil soup. <laughs> I would have probably made lentil soup and pumpkin muffins. <laughs> wow. Good day. Are we? That's it. We're good. We're okay. done? I mean, I feel great about that. But I mean, you have to put me in the setting, right? I'm looking at the mountains and the water and I'm eating the soup and the kids okay. are all there and everybody's safe and good and frolicking and Gosh. eating. It is a marvel. Okay. We get along the way that we do. <laughs> what would you
0: do? I, I would, okay. So I would wake up late ish, but that's a mm-hmm. relative term because. I mean, eight, I mean, late used to be noon. Right. (laughs) So I, yeah, I would wake up late. I would promptly cancel something. I would call someone or someplace I would cancel something and then I would feel completely free. Yes, And, um, I, since you mentioned settings, I hadn't gone this far into my little dreamland, but, um, I just got back from Kauai. So I would be in Kauai yeah. mm-hmm. and in Kauai, I would hike somewhere lovely at the destination of the hike. I would get out a book that I was reading and I would read mm-hmm. a chapter or two and then I would hike back on the way back. I might exert myself a little bit. I might break a sweat just a little bit, and then I would come home and I would write something that did not suck. Mm. And then I would spend the rest of the day's the rest of the day watching movies, like plural movies, I would like finish one and then start another.
2: Yes, you would. Yeah. Okay. But in your whole day, did you come into contact with one person beef? (laughs) Yeah. I can't help but notice that you were quite surrounded. Yeah. (laughs) There's a couple of ways we're different.
0: Um, okay. So speaking of movies, yeah, I mean,
2: writer, director, filmmaker Brock Heasley. Did you love him? Did you love him? I, I love him and I hope he's back and I can't wait to get his book and watch. Yes. His stuff. Um, I loved y'all's conversation because it was something that I've really never thought about. I've heard you talk about before, but mm. I've not really thought about, um, just how to make Christian movies and shows better. Um, yeah. cause I definitely don't love them. Um, and the ways that you guys spelled out are exactly why I don't, I just hadn't thought about it. I mean, they're so bad. Um, yeah. and I think that one of the, the reasons that resonated with me is that there's just most of them, at least don't allow room for like individual experience because it's just already like dictated, like exactly what you're, yeah. the, they take you to the conclusion that you're supposed to get to. And it's like, there's no room for you or the Holy Spirit to, to think, right. You just, yes. Oh my gosh. That is so well said.
0: And it's such an ironic thing because like God could have definitely, uh, pre-programmed humans, you know, to like say loving things and do loving things and and be loving. And he could have even like pre-programmed us to think that we're choosing that, that could have happened. But the problem is that then we wouldn't genuinely be loving. Love is only genuine if it's chosen, you know? Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. the the problem with that is that it means we have the capacity to choose against it, right? And so unless we have the capacity to choose it, to choose against it, then that's the only way that we can choose it. And so the whole point is that God loves free will. Like he's a stickler. For it, mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. such ir- It's so it's such an irony that in these Christian spaces, things are strong-armed instead of chosen, instead of the right. space
2: that you're talking about. Yeah, it's right. good. Um, I also loved. I was just like intrigued. I think about when he talked about um, his reset. Like the reset of something falling apart. Yeah. Um, and he's like, he was talking about how he and his wife both lost their job, I think within like 24 hours of each other. Yeah. Um, And then he got to put his life together back, like even better. He'd get, like, I think Ugh. the way I thought about it is that he was like give, forced to have the opportunity to follow his passion instead of what he was doing or what he thought he was supposed to be doing. And that's just such an incredible story.
0: Well, and we all have that choice every single day to like, to quit one thing or to start another or to say, okay, to what works instead of like, yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, to what excites us, but to be forced there, like, it's really kind of a gift.
2: Yeah. It's like think about makes you hustle.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Hustle. Um, Okay. So has God ever made you hustle?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, the thing that immediately comes to my mind, I might have talked about it in a previous season, but um, I was driving, ironically, to uh, a prison. I was driving to take a deposition, and a song came on the radio, um, and it was like, I had the kind of radio where you like looked at the screen and like the name of the band came up with the name of the song uh-huh, uh-huh. and the oh, song was yes. 33 miles which or the band was 33 miles, which got my attention. Cause that was, um, is our son's name. And the song was called one life to love. And the lyrics talked about, um, just having one shot in life to find out the one thing that you don't want to miss. I will never forget it. I was driving like to a work thing. Yes fully sobbing fully paused fully like this is a moment that I cannot like I'm trapped in this car with this song (laughs) with these words and wow I have to make a choice a different choice and I Mm. made a choice to reprioritize my life um in very big unexpected ways that was major yeah uh how about you um
0: I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is I remember this very clearly too. It was the day that I came home and realized I could not teach one more day. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like without some light or some plan in place, some light at the end of the tunnel or some plan in place of an exit plan, I could not teach one more day. And so I was <laughs> it was it was kind of messy, it was kind of weepy, snotty, but I'm like yeah. banging out uh, I go to my computer and I'm like dear Google I mean, God, (laughs) I, I re I can't teach one more day. I really love animals, but I don't want to be a vet. I think they help people Mm -hmm. heal. I think people who, um, behave abnormally are very intriguing and interesting to me. And the next thing I knew, that was how I ended up with one of the very first in the country dog training programs in a prison before there was
2: one like on every channel on Bravo or whatever. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it feels like a lifetime ago. I was just talking about that. (laughs) Honestly, I was talking about it just recently with somebody, um, and I was thinking about how the beef in me is so was and is so incredibly proud of you for doing that. But the lawyer yeah. in me is like, how in the world did anybody let you do that? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> totally. Crazy. Totally. I know. It was I know. So, so beautiful.
0: Yeah. I've been saying that this has been coming up a lot lately on episodes, but I'm like, is this holy or foolish? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The answer um- is yes. You know, so just back to Barack really quick, and then I'll close this up. But like one of the things that I, that I admire most about him is I've been, as I've been kind of going through, I try to go through the gospels, like on the regular, something new stands out to me every single time. And I, I had this you. idea, um, that when you look at the gospels, um, where are the sinners? So like so, if we're trying to imitate our lives and ministries after Jesus Christ, I think we should ask ourselves, where are the sinners? Because mm-hmm. they flocked to Jesus. They mm-hmm. beelined to Jesus. If people are not flocking towards whatever our, our ministries are, we might be doing it wrong. And so mm-hmm. I love this about Brock is that, that he is creating with that in mind. What mm-hmm. is something that is going to woo someone who does not know the Lord? Mm-hmm. So I just, he has all my like cheerleading, what color pom-poms do you like Brock? Like I'm, I'm so in it to win it with him. So rooting him on such a pleasure to introduce all of you, to him.
2: He's such a gift. Um, I can't wait to see what the two of you do together.
0: <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, thanks beef. Have a happy day. Love you. Love you. Be rooted bead is a small business working to create chic and classic jewelry meant to remind you of who you are, who you hope to be and what inspires you. With bracelets and necklaces that transition effortlessly from the gym or school pickup to date nights and weddings, their hope is that their jewelry brings goodness and holiness into the ordinary and everyday. The heart of Be Rooted is custom bracelets that are meant to bring you back to what really matters. Maybe that's children or a spouse or a word that breathes life and purpose. My bracelet says a simple, send me. It's a prayer that keeps me focused on loving the people that God has put before me. You can find them on Instagram at BeRooted underscore BeadCo or their website, berootedbeadco.com. With the holidays approaching, BeRooted is the perfect thoughtful gift. You can use the code SISTER for 15% off. If you are loving these episodes, I hope that you will like and subscribe. I hope that you'll write a review, share an episode with a friend, and maybe consider giving a little bit each month on Patreon. You can search Allison Sullivan where you will receive some content just for you. All of these things help to grow the show. I'm so grateful for our guests. I'm grateful for the work that we're doing here, and I'm especially grateful for you.
1: Today's show was a production of Allison Sullivan in conjunction with the Forte Catholic Podcast Network. For more great Catholic podcasts, head on over to fortecatholic.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.